pay attention to your Tanaki monster. When I was 11, I went to this summer camp called Deer Crossing Camp. And the very first thing you learn when you hike into this wilderness camp is the story of the Tanaki monster, T-apostrophe-N-A-C-I. So the story is about a young boy who has all these big dreams and goals and hopes and wants to run as fast as the wind and climb the tallest mountains. But as he's walking along uh, a path one day, he sees a little egg. And he picks up the egg because he's curious about it. And the egg hatches and out pops a curious little monster. And he says, what are you called? And the monster grabs a stick and writes a name in the sand, T-apostrophe-N-A-C-I. And the kid says, Tanaki, your name's Tanaki? And the monster nods. And he says, all right, Tanaki, we're going to be friends. And then when you get a pet, what do you have to do with that pet? You have to feed it, and you take care of it. And so this young boy started feeding his Tanaki monster and the Tanaki monster grew. And instead of carrying it on his back in a backpack, he then had to construct a little cart to carry the Tanaki monster behind him. And as the Tanaki monster grew and grew, this young boy could no longer do all the things he wanted to do, pursue his dreams, climb the highest mountains, run as fast as the wind. And this proceeded until the young boy was a old, old man and was walking along the same path by a, a lake that he was as a young boy when he found the monster. And it was a totally still day and the lake was glassy, just like a mirror. And the Tanaki monster, which was a huge Jabba the Hutt looking character at this point, was wearing a name tag, T-apostrophe-N-A-C-I. And as the boy looked back and saw the name tag reflected like a mirror in the lake, he realized finally what the Tanaki monster was. Okay, if you find this a bit cheesy, I get it. But it was very, very powerful and effective for me as an 11-year-old. Because Tanaki, spelled backwards, as if you're looking in a mirror, is the phrase, I can't. So at this summer camp, I was not allowed to say the words, I can't. And at first I thought this was a, a joke that no one would really take seriously. But at this weird little camp, they did take it seriously. The camp counselors who worked there, the campers who had been there before, everyone was paying attention and if you said the phrase, I can't, they would say, you what? And then you would have to say, oh, what? Well, like, did, did you not hear me? You know, it's, I can't find my shoes. And they'd say, you what? And this would go on and on until you'd realize you're saying, I can't. And this was this summer camp's strange way of highlighting uh, patterns in speech that can be rather disempowering and very knee-jerk, automatic. And the one that they focused on was the phrase, I can't, because this was a challenge camp where you were doing lots of challenging activities each day. And if you just automatically said, oh, I can't do this in response to the, the different activities, then you really wouldn't get anywhere. And I went back to this camp a number of summers, and then I went back to work at this camp. And so I became a true believer in the Tanaki philosophy. And I came to see how when I would go back into normal day-to-day -day life, the little phrase, I can't, would start creeping back in. And oftentimes it would be harmless. It would be innocuous. You know, I can't find my keys. Okay, no big deal. 
But other times, it would be something I would automatically say when I was feeling challenged. You know, I can't do this, or I can't say that. When that was a factually incorrect statement. So at this camp, we were instructed to say three things instead of saying, I can't. The first thing you could say was, Tanaki. And so if I was saying, I can't find my shoes, and other campers were saying, you what? Or an instructor was saying, you what? Uh, I would say, oh, uh, Tanaki, find my shoes. And then we go on with our day. But they encouraged us at the camp to try saying something more than, than just, I can't, backwards. They encouraged us to say, I choose not to. So this was interesting because it made me realize that a lot of the things that I would automatically say I can't do was, in fact, a choice that I was making. I was saying I choose not to. For example, I choose not to expend the effort to try to find my shoes. or to, I choose not to do this thing that seems difficult. So it forced us to own up and to take responsibility for the choices we were making. But by far the best thing that happened was when we were encouraged to say, I could if I. So instead of saying, I can't do this, like for example, when I learned how to, to windsurf on this old, old equipment at this summer camp, and I was constantly plunging into this ice cold lake and trying to pull up this really heavy sail using just my little 11 year old muscles, um, constantly I would want to say, you know, I can't pull it up. I can't pull the sail out of the water. And then the instructor would say, Try saying I could if I. And then I'd be encouraged to think up multiple I could if I statements. So for example, I could if I had bigger muscles. Okay, the instructor would say, well, that's not something we can change instantaneously like this. So what's another solution? And I would be forced to think of, okay, I could if I, and I would go through a number of possibilities until I'd find one that really made sense. So for example, I, I could, if I held my arms straight and lean back really far, like we talked about in the first class, and the instructor would say, yes, try that. And sometimes if I was not able to think up something myself, the instructor would provide some, some examples. So I wasn't just totally left on my own. This little trick. I even hesitate to call it a trick. This little switch in, in language, both verbal language and mental language, the, the self-talk that goes on all the time in our brains was a, a powerful thing for me to, to really embrace at age 11 and 12 and 13. And not only did I start realizing when I was saying I can't, when I really didn't mean it, I started replacing these I can'ts with I could if I's or I choose not to. So how does this relate to self-directed learning? Well, if you're constantly telling yourself you can't do things, you're not going to get very far as a self-directed learner. And it's very easy to feel unmotivated. If I'm trying to bike across Europe, I have to come up with little solutions to little problems all the time. If you're trying to educate yourself without a conventional school where you're forced to learn certain things in certain times in certain ways, then it's up to you to continue having faith and putting creative effort into all the little challenges and problems 
that will face you on a day-to-day basis. And so this seemingly little language trick makes a huge difference when you add it all up over a long period of time. In a moment, I'm going to tell you what the activity is. But first, I want to tell you about other phrases that are similar to the phrase, I can't, and what you can replace them with. Another common phrase is, I should. which means you feel like you have an obligation. I really should do this thing. Instead of saying, I should, consider saying, I choose to. Because really, there's very little in life that you should do. There's a lot that you choose to do or choose not to do. You have the choice. The phrase, I don't know, comes out of our lips all the time. Try replacing that one with, I'll find out. The phrase, I wish, oh, I wish I was more popular. I wish I was able to do this. Try replacing that with, I'll make a plan. And then add something that will actually change your situation. The phrase, I hate, oh, I hate hiking. I hate spicy foods. Ah. Oh. Try replacing that with, I prefer, and then you can add something positive after that. I prefer playing Fortnite. I prefer buttered pasta. That tends to win more friends than just saying, I hate. And finally, I have to, which is a lot like, I should. Instead of saying, I have to, consider saying, I get to, which is a way to remember that many of the things we think we have to do we've actually chosen for ourselves, and we want to do so we can be grateful about it. Okay, the activity for this lesson is to take that first phrase, I can't, and challenge someone else in your life to see who can say this phrase less within a certain period of time. It could be 24 hours. It could be one week. Probably something in between 24 hours and one week is the best choice here. The way you play the game is to get a bunch of pennies, although it really could be any other object, but it's fun to play it with pennies or quarters, some form of money because it feels a little bit more real then. And each of you gets to start with the same number of pennies and you carry these around throughout the day. And ideally you do this with someone who you are spending a lot of time around like a, a family member. And every time that the other person says, I can't, they have to give you a penny and vice versa. Every time you say, I can't, you have to give them a penny. This is a game that we played among the staff at this summer camp, Deer Crossing, that helped us to be aware of how often and how how habitually we were saying this phrase, I can't, which often felt harmless, but sometimes it really mattered that that was what we said instead of saying, I could if I, or I choose not to. So find someone to play the penny game with, do it for a day or a few days or a week, and identify the self-talk that's going on in your head, which is not conducive to motivation and self-directed learning. 